safetyfm.com with Jay Allen. Changing safety cultures, one broadcast and one podcast at a time. Well, hello and welcome to an all new episode of Safety FM with Jay Allen. We are actually recording from the Global Safety Innovation Summit 2024 edition coming to you from the gong in Australia. Yeah, so it's been a fun week so far as we're getting into it. We have are actually just coming right now to the end of day number uno. Yeah, so coming into the end of day number one. I actually got to sit down with multiple people today, but I wanted to give you a full episode in regards of coming into Tuesday and talking about exactly what was going on here. And I sat down and did a long form interview with Brett Sutton, friend of the show. He's been a friend of the show for a while, but I sat down with him. He has a new book that came out today. We're going to get into that almost immediately. So sit back, relax, take a listen to what we have going on and enjoy this episode of Safety FM with Jay Allen. But of course, with Brett Sutton here on Safety FM. Brett Sutton, Global Safety, let's see, Innovation Summit 2024. I'm going to just call it the gong because I've been screwing up the name ever since. How are you? I'm good, Jay. And it's great to be here. What we call Jesus, G-S-I-S, the second coming. So So today's a big day. Besides that we're here at the gong last night or this morning at midnight, the drop. That's right. The drop of our new book series, our uh, Hop Into Action series. And uh, this new book, uh, which we're calling the um, you know, the Hop Guide to Doing Safe Differently, is really designed to help those, particularly the, the newer generation coming through into the workforce, to really break down all things hop in a way that's relatable to them. And we've created a... a, a a different mechanism of um, learning and development as part of the series, which we're calling um, Capability, Capacity and Resilience. So the whole idea is that the book series, it's, it's about going to be about 14 volumes. So Brave uh, approach already, 14 volumes, oh. Well, yeah, mm-hmm. the good news is 40 pages okay. in, in each volume. And basically we share the concepts We introduce them to some things that are different to what they know. Uh, The book is littered with stories around those concepts so that people can relate and align to it. And then the last part of the book is that resilient and that um, sort of capability component is we get them to go out and we get them to test some of these things, get them to go out and see it in action, hence the whole hop into action Mm -hmm. concept. And then the next volume pushes out further. So would you, when you look at this now, are you are probably almost saying micro-learnings? Is that the way that you would look yeah, at it? You could call it that. but mm-hmm. Or is it longer than a micro-learning? I mean, it really varies on, on the interpretation, of course. Yeah, but the whole idea is that we can't expect people to go from one way of doing things to a different way of doing something else without there being some sort of angst or, you know, Um, change that has to happen within them. And it's scary. And I think in the previous 4Ds book, we we used the analogy of um, caged hen versus free-range chicken. Mm -hmm. You can't open the cage and expect everyone to go running out and embrace 
this new view. Right. Okay? If anything can open the cage, they're going to poke the head out. So let's let's talk a little bit about it because it's been a hot minute since you've been on the show. So yeah. because I mean, and you you've been creating your own world, as I like to to say to people. You started off with the learning team stuff. Yeah, and you you stuck there for for a bit. So why all of a sudden did you think that the expansion needed to occur? Well, so so two things. I mean, in the learning teams book, we we were really wanting people to start that journey that that you don't have to wait for an event to happen to actually learn. And if we look back at that book, we're talking like 2019 now. It, it seems like an eternity because there was, this, there was a small thing that occurred between then and now. Uh, yeah, something <laughs> called COVID or something A, a like lot that. of people don't like to talk about it. No. But if you look at the Learning Teams book, we spoke very little about HOP. Right. And that was because the Learning Teams itself, as a, as a tool, is a tool of the HOP principles. And we, we felt that HOP was living in a learning team. And we created um, a set of principles for learning teams on the basis that we realised as learning teams became more popular, and you have to admit now, it's just a word that's used everywhere. I mean, we, we have people out there that are, if, if you don't mind, of, of course, I, I know it's not my rated R safety show, so I'll try to keep it, cl- yeah. I'll keep it kind here. But there's people that are, their goal is to accomplish a thousand learning teams in a year. There are people that are changing the terms to operational learning. And I don't know what they're, what they're accomplishing with some of these things, but it seems like it's concepts that I've heard from you. That there's some concepts that I've heard from Bob, of course, concepts that I've heard from Todd, that it's not to be best in market, but to be first in market. Does that make sense? Um... It's natural evolution. Um, and, and I think I even talked about it. I, I basically said um, that if we, if we want people to embrace doing safety differently, we need to actually implement it in a different way. But what I keep seeing at the moment is we're seeing the same way of doing it, how it's been done for other projects. And, and I call it um, pump and dump. And, and That could mean so many things. <laughs> and, or, or rinse and repeat. Right. We'll, uh, we'll go with that one. For, for those whirlpool people out there, rinse and repeat. So, so for us, uh, the evolution from learning teams was to take it out, to basically extend that notion that uh, you don't have to wait for an event to learn. You can learn from management of change, but you can also learn from everyday work. So the next book was actually purely focusing about what does learning from everyday work look like? Mm-hmm. And of course, that then spawned, which has gone super crazy around the world, the four Ds. And let's talk, before you get into that, well, you've had some co-writers change out as you've been going along too. So can you touch on some of that? Yeah. So, so once again, that's the whole idea. We, we want different people to participate, to give different views and different perspectives. So, you know, the first book was myself, um, Brent Robinson from a lean perspective, and, you know, Glynis from an adult education perspective. <clears throat> and it's been very powerful because people were able to relate to that, that adult ed element that we're coming to, very relatable for them. Right. But as we evolved, we also said that we need these other voices because diversity of thought... You know, functional diversity, those things are what actually help us. So I know it's become quite common now to have multiple authors, mm-hmm. but I would like to say that until we start kicked off that, it was all single people. Right. 
And, and now it's how many names can you fill in a box? It, well, it's been single people and ghostwriters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or chat, or chat GPT. <laughs> well, that too. That wasn't a thing back in 19 though. So, uh, so how are you liking this? Because of course, everybody always has their different styles that they bring in to do, to authoring. So when you start changing co-writers, how is the adjustment period? Do, do you do, and I'm not joking as I say this, no. do you, do, do you do a learning team yes. to accomplish? Has not changed. Okay. We still, so once we decide, so for instance, we mapped out what the 14 themes were for the next book series. Okay. And we ran a learning team on each. And, you know, my job is to provide consistency to that, but make sure that the other person's voices can be heard separately, but not in a counterway. Because the whole idea of, a, of writing a good book is that the person listening or reading it should be able to see themselves in it. So, so I take the content from the different people and then I basically apply a lens across it to try and do that. And you know what it's like, Jay. It's a bit of an art form in, in the end. Um, so, so we think it's going well. And as we talked about, you know, the... the, the we feel we're at a stage now where we actually need to go back and reinforce those HOP fundamentals. You know, it's the 30th anniversary of HOP right. at the Community of Learning in Henderson, Nevada this year. And, and we really feel that we need to reinforce those fundamentals and then, you know, push out from there, to, you know, to give this new wave. Because, um, you know, I spent some time recently with Rob Fisher and a bunch of his clients and the message was really consistent from those organisations that hot fluency and hot advocacy that needs to happen is constant because the turnover rate of leadership from the front line to the back office is about 100% every four to five years. So if you don't have an active program building hot fluency and hot advocacy, you can't create sustainability. Yet people keep focusing on their hot program rather than actually the, at, at that back component of it. So that really basically said to us, why can't we create something that people can pick up, read it, see it, try it, and then give them that confidence to keep moving forward? And that's what it's all about. It's that whole thing of, of scaffolding people up so they get more confident. And... You know, we're facing some interesting times as a result of the, um, the pandemic. And we're obviously seeing now a greater lens around the psychosocial element, around the human component. And that's scary for leaders. Um, and it's scary because it's creating uncertainty. And that uncertainty um, basically means they're faced with one or two choices. Choice one is to change. Or choice two is to double down and do it harder. And, you know, the sad thing that I see is that a lot of these leaders are choosing to double down rather than look at the different element of it. So we're hoping that this type of approach will actually start to create that encouragement. So are you seeing this in particular in a particular industry or are you seeing it in a certain region of, of the We'll just say of the world, or well, it just kind of a little bit of everything. All organisations are telling us that they are losing a 
huge amounts of knowledge from the front line where people have had 5, 10, 15, 20 years of practice and they've got all this new fresh people coming in and they're now realising that their systems were actually never able to deliver the training or the or the way we do things. And it was those people with all that long-term experience that had been making up that gap or that brittle dust. They're moving on. So now you've got people who may have only been the organisation for six months now training other people. But training them in what? That's the greatest question of all. Absolutely. So... When we were um, listening to some of these very mature organisations, like in their 15, 16 years of their hop journey, they were telling us things like the four Ds is so important now at that front line because that's where the learning is actually happening. So for people that are not familiar, what are the four Ds? The four Ds are basically dumb, dangerous, difficult and different. And it's not a checklist or a checkbox. <laughs> it is simply a way of having better conversations. So Todd would always say you can only get the answer to the question that you ask. We want to shift that from asking better questions to having better conversations. Because in those conversations, um, you see the context, you see the conditions and and work. There's so much richness richness that exists in having those conversations. And even in the psychosocial component, um, when we talk about dangerous, we're also selling, we're also talking about stuff that might be challenging. That when we talk about difficult, we're also talking about stuff that might be demanding on, on people. So the whole idea of these four Ds is to get workers to look at how they're having to work in the system rather than the traditional mechanism of safety is how the system is imposed on them. And that's changing, that's creating a whole different dynamic in the front line. And and if I was to choose a classic, what we call task-based psychosocial element, it's called autonomy. If you understand how you work in the system and what the constraints or the capacity of the system is, you get high autonomy. If it's being imposed on you and organisations say, we empower you to stop work, then that's undermining. So when you bring this up at first and you go into an organisation and you're seeing on how the front line's taking this, how does the leadership take it? Um, Scary. So what we have observed is that organisations are really good at telling, but they struggle to listen. Or if they are starting to listen, they feel that they have to move to a fix. They believe that listening means they're finding something out, and if they're finding something out, I've now got to jump and try and fix it. So to try and counter that, and and we should not assume that leaders can actually you know, necessarily have good conversations. We came up with a little concept um, called listen, learn, then lead, which basically said go out, listen to the front line, get together with other leaders and learn from what you listen to, choose a couple of the topics that really interested you, do a deeper understanding and then lead with that knowledge about creating change. And that gave them a sense of purpose. 
that they didn't have before because they felt that they they were bound to go out and actually find and fix. And a great example is we've, we've had a number of senior leaders come to us and say, you know, when I go out now, people come up to me and say, can I share a story? Whereas before, if they would go out, people would be doing their best to avoid them in that space. So it's just changing that dynamic. Um, and, and, and it's fun. It's a lot of fun because once the organisation becomes attuned to listening, then hop opens up. So this is where you saw the availability of coming in with the beginner guide. Absolutely. Okay. It's, it's to give them that encouragement um, to do it. Um, and they can do it where even if they fail they can fail safely within themselves because they're not being judged by others in that process. So right now, if somebody comes to you and they say, I want to go through the journey on how you have it planned out, on how you look at it, where would you? Where would be the starting point? I mean, and of course, every organization is different, but I'm just talking from a listener perspective. Uh, they're going, they're about to start this whole thing. Where would you tell them to go? Yeah, so, so look, well, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, you know. There, there, there's so many obvious answers, right? <laughs> well, the first thing is, is start listening to some of the great podcasts that are out there. Mm-hmm. Um, start talking to some other peers on their own journey. Um, our personal favourite is our concept of the Trojan Mouse, which is... Don't look at this as being some form of transformation or cultural change program, but just go out and do some micro-experimenting with the front line and watch and observe what that, what that tells you. And I think a really good example of that is if, if people go on to the, uh, they Google Linfox or look at the 4Ds video from Linfox, um, if you listen to the stories from those workers the outcomes of those stories was all about driving operational improvement. It wasn't safety. Safety became an outcome of operational improvement. And what was interesting from a leader's point of view, they could see the immediate value in operational improvement. Because let's face it, right now we're being asked to do more for less. Okay? Um, So... You know, this, uh, and what I love about HOP is HOP transcends safety. Okay? It cuts across all operations in that space. And the other nice thing, Jay, is that you can go out and you can physically measure operational improvement. You can't measure safety. There's some people that sell software that's worth as you can. Yeah, look, there's also some people that even now are saying you can predict events. Okay. Yeah, good, good luck. I know. Can you do some winning lotteries at the same t- numbers well, at the same time? Yeah, I'm going to come up with our version of Hot Nostradamus, or, or you know, I've got my um, Widgie board, which is which, which I call um, my safety seance. So, you know, um, but but in the day, if organisations if they get to micro experiment, because remember. Systems are always degrading. Systems are brittle. But that brittleness is happening in small chunks. This doesn't happen overnight. It happens in small increments. If we start to micro-experiment and start to introduce small change back in, that has a compounding effect. 
the benefit of that is it doesn't create um, that, that potential knock-on effect or unintended consequences that big change can bring. And in our work that we've been doing, getting workers on board is easy. Getting leaders to be curious is not difficult either. But in the centre is this layer, and we call it the permafrost. Okay, that's that hardened layer that exists in all organisations, and that layer has survived every programme or change management that's ever existed because they're always waiting for the next programme. So a lot of the work that we've been doing is how to melt the permafrost because you only need to get a certain amount of those people on board and then the rest will just naturally fall into place. And we believe at the moment one of the things that can really help is actually focusing on operational improvement. Because if that permafrost layer, if that that management or leadership at that layer, if they can see the value and they're not having to expand a lot of effort, then they'll put their hand up for the glory. Once the hand goes up for the glory, they now become part of that committed group because they then can't go back. And that's that whole idea of a Trojan mouse is just to break those walls down. And we all know the thing about mice, they love to breed. And before you know it, you've got an infestation. Oh, yes. So let me kind of backtrack a little bit here because you've, you've unpacked quite a bit here. I want to go back to the very beginning on when you started this, when yeah. you when you decided to do the first book. Sure. When you decided to go down this path. And of course, nobody knew that this global pandemic thing was going to occur. What has occurred so far in the journey that you didn't expect? Because it, I remember having conversations with, oh. uh, when we first met back in Colorado many, many, many moons ago, and you telling me part of what you had in mind. And the journey has changed significantly, it sounds like, from where you, from where you, from what you wanted to do where Pro- you're, to where you're at. Probably 90% is not what I expected. So, so if I go back to it, you know, my, the connection between me and Todd is really that we both um, came from that background of looking at, you know, fatalities and why things go wrong. And the whole reason I was embracing learning teams, not because I was looking for a different way of investigating, what I was looking for is, is how can we take an event that's caused um, um, life changing for everyone and how can we add in a caring element? How can we add in a restorative element? And how can we add in a learning and improvement element? So that was really my passion was about doing that. Very quickly, as we rolled that out, very quickly you could see that workers... Um, were saying to us, even though this is but a horrible thing that has happened, we have learnt so much. And why can't we do this normally? Why, why can't we take the same this learning element and, and roll that out? And the best part of it is that if we learn from normal work, we don't have all that emotional element of, of the harm side so, but that was not the intention. That that was just, you know, something that, that naturally sort of happened. Um, and that's how it evolved. 
And then the next thing was um, organisations were saying, you know, every time we're on a learning team, we learn something. We're learning too much. <laughs> learning too much. Learning too much. <laughs> and but what they were really saying to us is that they had a finite resource. So if they did investigations previously and they might take days or weeks and we could do it with a learning team and do it in, in hours, you're still limited to how many learning teams you could run. So what we were exploring was how could we then go out and do targeted learning? And we thought, well, the organisation can't do that. It just does not have the capacity to be out there everywhere doing that. So we thought, okay, well, why can't we have something that is worker-led that the organisation supports? And that's where the four Ds came in from my work with Jeff. Because Jeff was talking about this, this, this thing they were doing, and I'm saying, hey, that's great, but I can tell you what, over here it would be so much more powerful Let's, let's take it from some mechanism of doing an after-action review and let's actually turn it into a learning tool that actually allows both workers to learn, the work group to learn, and the organisation to learn because most of that other stuff was actually not about the front line. It was actually about the organisation. So it was taking that and then putting a different lens on it and then that just got its own sets of legs and went running away. And so our evolution has been organic based on what has actually happened as a result. So as you look at your journey and when you were in New Zealand thinking about this, doing this, do you think you would be all over the world like you are now? No. No. And, I mean, at the end of the day, all we're doing, um, you know, our... our all we're doing is sharing our stories and, you know, we are just coaching and mentoring people on their journeys. I mean, our, our role, I mean, once again, I've always been adamant that we split the difference between doing community and commercial. Absolutely. You know. You've said that for instance, pretty much since day one, I, I, I recall. <laughs> and, and, you know, we keep, we keep them, we deliberately keep them separate. So when we do commercial work, our job is to coach and mentor or to identify others who can coach and mentor to create sustainability, not, not to go in and sell a program or create a program. And in actual fact, even today, when someone says, how do we start our learning team's journey? My response is, let's run a learning team. You know, how can I convince our safety people that are doing investigations for 10 years to do a learning team? Let's run a learning team. And they go, well, you know, why? Well, if I can take your people, understand where they're coming from, help them see where they could go to, I don't need to tell them how a learning team works because they've just been in it. They might be able to tell you more than what you know. Exactly. That's the way to look at it. And most importantly they will then be an active participant in the solution because now they've actually, they've got ownership in it. It's not being imposed on them. And I'm still staggered today by the amount of, even in the world of HOP, that we roll out a program, a predefined program. <laughs> Which is totally against how the whole process is supposed to work. Absolutely. 
So Brent, let's do this. If people want to know more about the book and where they can find you, where can they go? Yep, so they could do two, two things. They can go to our learningteamscommunity.com website. Of course, they can go straight to uh, Amazon. Um, and um, all the books are available both in print and Kindle version as well. And uh, like everything else, the, the new book series, I'm super proud of it. And this might come as a shock, but each volume is going to be priced at $8.95. And that is going to be a shock for most people listening to this. Absolutely. And that's because we want people to realize that we want this to be a resource that everyone should be able to tap it and use. We don't want price to be a barrier. That is awesome. That is awesome to hear. So thank you for doing this interview with me from the gong, of course, from the Global Safety Summit. Hold on, I'm going to mess it up. Global Safety Summit Innovation 2024 here from the gong. Thanks, Jay. Thank you. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen.